This is Israeli Technology Founders Speak, a podcast of conversations with successful Israeli high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs, with your host, Avraham Hermon. Nir Pellis is the founder and chairman of Kanisher, a startup in Israel that is developing and commercializing a wide range of effective, high-standard, and affordable medical cannabis products, as well as pharmaceutical cannabinoid medicines to enhance treatments and improve people's quality of life worldwide. Avraham sat down with Nir in the offices of J.M.B. Davis Ben David in Jerusalem to discuss how Nir took the resources and experience from an old technology and developed it into a modern business, how Kanashur is raising the standards of the cannabis industry, and Nir's secret to success. This podcast is a creation of J.M.B. Davis Ben David, an intellectual property law firm serving clients around the world. You have great innovations. We keep them safe. It's not just enough to have a great startup idea. If you don't legally protect your innovations, products, and brand, anyone can claim them as their own. We help you keep your great innovations secure. Learn more by going to jmbdavis.com. That's jmbdavis.com. Nir, tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, and the companies that you were involved with until... My career is a bit interesting. It's unique. I've had the opportunity to start with private equity, then running two Nasdaq traded companies as a CFO, and later on becoming an entrepreneur. Actually, in my career, I've, I've been into restructuring of companies since I would say since I was about 27. And that's my expertise. I've been doing turnarounds and restructuring and repurposing for two decades now. It's awfully interesting. About seven years ago, my business partner and myself, Shimon Marakama and myself, we acquired a small factory doing powders, packaging, and brown ripples for the food industry. I know it sounds awfully boring, yet we have converted that into Israel's leader in gluten-free food and nutraceutical production. Mm-hmm. Actually, what we did back then was repurposing food and nutraceutical grade ISO 22000 infrastructure from more or less hardly profitable products into products which were back then a blue ocean in which the current producers were more or less mamas and papas. And then we understood that in order to make a profit, you have to repurpose available infrastructure into a blue ocean. We did that in gluten-free foods many years ago and became Israel's leader in that. Yet in 2016, we acquired another boring business, an extremely one, extremely boring one, which is soy extraction business, Israel's leader in soy extraction. Now, that leader in soy, in soy extraction had 60 years of expertise in extraction, in different technologies, nutraceutical production, and even API production, the company used to be a producer of a certain API, procuring that for companies like Novartis, Bayer, Merck, and Jensen. It's an API named Isoflavon, which is a phytoestrogen from soy. Mm-hmm. So the company was making APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients, coming from soy, and you were supplying it to 
the pharmaceutical industry? Actually, 2016, when we acquired the company, it was only producing soy feed, soy meal for feed, soy oil for the food industry, and lecithin. Yet the know-how of producing APIs and building factories and significant industrial capabilities were available. And, and actually, the guys who actually built two facilities in China and the US, becoming over a decade ago a world leader in soy isolates, were still working for Solbar. So mm-hmm. what we understood is that we, on one hand, have a, a running business, profitable, large, more than $100 million one, yet the capabilities which were available to repurpose were unique. We had two available shutdown factories inside our, our premises, and one of the ideas was to repurpose those, combine that with the available know-how of the team into a new field. Of course, we didn't know what the, what the next field is to be. Mm-hmm. Yet some stars aligned back in November 2016. Lots of luck and an agenda. So it seems like you have experience in looking at companies and finding potential value and even adapting and changing the business model of the company that exists and bring it from one place to a totally different place, maybe even a different industry. Let's talk a little bit about Canashore and what makes Canashore unique. Canashore is unique. Its name derives from cannabis and assurance. So the agenda was to make something which people will trust. And that's what we do. Kanashui is unique in the way that it runs a full vertically integrated operation, meaning we are running four parts in parallel. Simultaneously, we are running indoor cultivation of aeroponic growing of cannabis, pharma-grade processing into oils and tinctures, oils, tinctures, and flowers, QA and QP internally uh, aligned with the EU GMP. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just for our listeners, a quality insurance of products to uh, adapt to the European regulation for, for cannabis products, right? Yes, and we are working on the next phase. And the next phase is early stage innovation in the pharma field based on cannabis, which mm-hmm. is IP protected, and formulated and consistent. So what we are now doing is combining all the way from seeds to innovative pharma products. And we're talking pharma, 505B2 regulated products. We are running the whole operation in order to deliver the world products which are bulletproof under Israeli and European regulation of medical cannabis and medical-grade and pharma-grade products for the existing market of cannabis tinctures and flowers of the highest possible grade and safe to use. Simultaneously, we are now developing the products which we hope in two and three years will be available for customers without any look and feel of cannabis. Our agenda is to make cannabis into a drug, a physician feels safe and easy to prescribe to the patient. Mm -hmm. That is our agenda. We are to start creating revenues this month. We are now in Q1 2020, and we hope to have significant growth quarter by quarter and year by year. Simultaneously, we are heavily investing in R&D, 
based on the, on the foundations put in Israel of pharma industry. We have harnessed a, a significant team of pharma innovators for the cannabis world. If I understand correctly, your company is really involved in a lot of different subfields from agriculture, actually growing, extracting, which is essentially chemical company, and an R&D, innovative startup type company, all together under one roof, bringing it all together. How many employees do you have working on this? As we speak, 21, not including some service providers, of course. Lots of, there are a lot of, uh, if I count the total of number of service providers, you reach about 50. Now, the 21 employees, are, who are, of course, very busy, are in those four groups, which I just said, cultivation, processing, QA and QP, and R&D. Looking at Canashore, one of the things that you guys are doing differently than other growers here in Israel is indoor growing. I want to hear what you have to say about indoor growing, advantages, challenges. What makes, why, did, why did you decide to grow indoor? I admit it's a bit tricky. Our initial agenda was to process based on other growers. Yet we found the following. Quality assurance problems in the substance which acquired from growers. Inconsistency. And we ended up, ended up eventually procuring and growing. Now, why do we do that? Because we see price difference in cannabis from in outdoor cultivation from farms, which is available in Israel, and the indoor cultivation. We have decided to move for indoor cultivation because we understood we needed our own source. We had the availability of a protein extraction plant. Actually, we dissembled a 40, 40 meter high spray dryer, the largest in wow. the Middle East. We dissembled that, yet it was in a building which, which is linked anyway to a lot of infrastructure that Solbar has. Remember, Kanashu is eventually a spin-off of Solbar, so we've got availability of cost-effective electricity, actually the, uh, the cheapest one you can buy in Israel, Natural gas, which is a very cost-effective power source. Reverse osmosis water, water purification water, backup power generator, etc. Et we had all that available because Solbar was built with a lot of redundancies. Mm -hmm. I see. So you're taking the advantages that existed in Solbar, the soybean extraction facilities, and using them for growing cannabis, for cannabis extraction, and using the know-how and the professionals that were an experience that were there in Solbar and transferring it over to cannabis. That's, that's really interesting. How many crops of cannabis can you grow indoor? Well, it is so interesting that I find myself walking into it once weekly, dressing up with all those clothes needed within, just because I'm curious myself. The thing is, we reach six cycles a year of growing compared to two and three when you do it in a farm. In the facility, there is no winter or summer. It's mm -hmm. 25 degrees Celsius all around. It's 70% of humidity. The air is purified constantly, and we monitor more or less everything in it. So there is no peak. We grow that without any peaks of cultivation, meaning you can do by far, with by far less manpower, by far more growing. It's capex intensive, yet it is very clean. Now, the end result aligns with both Israeli IMC GAP, Good Agriculture Practice, yet we've built of that 
aligned with the EU GMP and herbal medicine regulation under the e- under EMA. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did it is because Israel is a home base, yet we have to export, and the European standards are very high. What we anticipate is the standards will continue to go high and high and higher. Standards always change, and additional sections are added. We have actually reviewed the different regulations, herbal medicine regulations in Europe. They've doubled the number of items in the regulation more or less every five years. Now, what we think is that we have to be prepared for the, the highest standards. And once we produce, the standards will continue to go up and up and up. So what you're saying is that you have the capability of growing six batches a year as opposed to outdoor facilities. They, how many batches can, can they grow a year? Two or three. Two or three maximum. And you have the added advantage of uniformity. You're controlling all the parameters. Your product that is going to be produced is going to be the same any time of the year. You're going to be getting the same amount. The patients can rely on a reliable source that no matter what time of year it is, they'll have the patients that are accustomed to your product will have this source that's reliable and that's consistent. If you can talk a little bit about consistency and its importance in the cannabis world. Consistency is the hell of an issue. And please add to that stability and safety. Mm-hmm. Now, when we start, when we started looking at, at the cannabis world more than three and a half years ago, we came to the understanding the cannabis world was created by growers. Yet, we have been doing industry for more than 60 years as Solbao, doing consistent and stable products, procuring for Unilever, Nestle, and other big names. Now, any botanical substance is always different, is never consistent. You should make it consistent by growing it in the same terms and by producing and extracting at a, in a very high level of technology in order to reach uniformity. Now, of course, the customer expects uniformity. Now, the regulation tries to solve that. The Israel regulation allows certain deviations in any batch. The European regulation lets by far lower deviations. Mm-hmm. And when you reach pharma, you're allowed to 5 to 10% of deviation only. So we understood in order to make a consistent product, we have to build the old vertical, meaning cultivation at the same terms, meaning the plant gets the same growing condition always. And the extraction has to, extraction and packaging has to be done with very high end QA protocols and extraction mm-hmm. protocols. And that is the reason over the last few years we have developed in our lab. We actually, okay, we started from an ISO 70,000 lab, which we already had as Solbar. We split it into two and we start working with HPLC and other machinery over there to develop extraction technologies and extraction protocols while building those two factories which I talked about, the growing and the processing. Actually, and a bit surprising, the Israeli Innovation Authority agreed to finance the majority of that R&D because it was a unique R&D of developing extraction protocols and analytical methods. So by, by now we have analytical methods validated are the EU and US regulation in-house in order to analyze about a dozen different 
cannabinoids within the plant or an, or an extract or oil, a tincture, meaning we have got significant know-how. Now, the reason we have that is combined of the following. A, we had the lab when we started, an ISO 17,000 approved lab. Mm-hmm. We had the, the personnel who knows how to develop analytical methods, and we recruited ex-employees of Israeli pharma com- uh, companies. Now, as we are located in Israel, which is pretty small, you have got an abundance of qualified personnel to recruit. We have recruited personnel from companies like Kamada, Teva, Foemix. All those guys are extremely qualified, and they are available because they are, they are looking for the next challenge. Mm-hmm. So the reason we managed to do all that is the av- availability of qualified manpower around a lab and regulatory framework, which mm-hmm. was put down by the regulator itself. Now, the regulator in 2016, the Ministry of Health, put down a regulation. They nicked them that, the, the Green Book. And the Green Book said how cannabis has to be grown, processed, and analyzed, and yet later distribute. Mm-hmm. So Israel has somewhat of an advantage over other countries in that the regulatory structure here, the Green Book or the Bible for, for cannabis, was written here. How does this impact the uh, production of uh, Canashore? On the one hand, the Israeli market is pretty small. From what I understand, there are 40,000 approximately. Not, not any longer. We are not already hearing from the Ministry of Health talking about 90,000 patients with wow. an approval, a state approval to acquire cannabis in a pharmacy. Wow. So 90,000 patients, that's already about 1% of the Israeli population. The Israeli population is about 1 million. And about 1 in 100 people have approval to obtain cannabis. So that's a significant market. But the Green Book, the regulatory atmosphere here in Israel, also allows export of cannabis to other countries. So if you could talk a little bit about export What's happening? Has export started? And when do you guys plan to get on board with exporting cannabis to other countries? And which countries? To begin with, the Israeli edge is a regulatory framework. The regulatory framework enabled the creation of an industry here. Now, the the industry is very interesting. It is a competitive landscape. And the number of companies has grown. And I I guess it would decrease in the coming few years when it will become by far more and more and more professional. By the way, I must say the fixed costs in the cannabis industry of maintaining ISOs and security, etc. are very high, meaning there is no room for dozens of companies, mm-hmm. only so. for a mi- minimal amount of, of companies with a lot of volume. We have created an operation which fits both Israel and the Europeans. Now, the European regulation is a bit different. In Israel, there's a certain regulation for medical cannabis. The European regulation takes cannabis more or less as a botanical drug or a herb, a medicinal herb, meaning you have to produce under more or less pharma standards and prove you are ex- safe in production in order to sell in Europe. And we have, and the regulations are different. We have positioned ourselves in a position we've got the operation fitting both of them. We are not targeting Canada or the US Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. The European market is pushing for medical and then pharmaceutical. The Israeli market is talking about medical cannabis, which is a kind of a segment 
in between nutraceutical and pharma. Mm-hmm. Both are heavily regulated. As Kana show, we want to be in heavily regulated markets. We are not pushing for large-scale markets. We are not pushing for North America. Are, our agenda is to be in the market which is as regulated as possible. Mm-hmm. The more regulations and the more QA practices needed, it's better for us because the company's DNA is solbars, is of high-end production, fitting, com- procuring for companies like Novartis or Unilever. That's our core DNA. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason we have invested so heavily in, in fixed assets based on the foundations and the buildings and the infrastructure that we had. We believe what we have built uh, at Ashdod, which is, you know, it's about 5,000 square meter in size, at 18 days small, will eventually be duplicated elsewhere, yet R&D will continue to operate at Ashdod based on the early stage innovation ecosystem, which is available in Israel. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are trying to harness all that. The cannabis world is constantly changing. The medical cannabis world, regulation change, is changing. And actually just yesterday was the first export from Israel to England. So wow. it was yesterday. It was in the news. So I read it like everybody. And we push for export starting at Germany and probably England. I cannot give exact details of timing because we are a publicly traded company, but we have built an operation which fits the customer and the lines with both the European regulation and the Israel regulation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about being a publicly traded company. You guys chose to, to uh, become publicly traded on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. How many cannabis companies are there and why, why Tel Aviv? There are some companies that are looking towards Canada. I guess what makes sense for you to be sold on the... Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Oh, okay. I may say that we wanted Tel Aviv, but that wouldn't be that correct. We did it because we could. It was available. Going for Nasdaq is high up in the sky. It's going to take us years to reach Nasdaq. Our initial plan was to go for Nasdaq, yet we understood it's going to take a long time. We were actually two years ago looking for a publicly traded shell on Nasdaq, ended up with the shell at Tel Aviv. It was in January and February 2018. Now, why Tel Aviv and not Canada? Simply because it was available. The number of Israeli companies traded in Canada is, I would say, residual due to, well, there are various reasons. It's pretty hard to be listed in a market which is overseas, and there's a lot of of expertise with the company from your country. So about two years ago, there were hardly, if any, Israelis traded in Canada or Sweden. So being the first one is an issue, legal-wise and accounting-wise, etc. While being, tra- being traded in Nasdaq is very doable. There have been hundreds of IPOs or RTOs of Israeli companies in Nasdaq over the last decades, if not mm-hmm. thousands of such transactions. Yet, we were not fit for that. We were too, mature, too early, early stage. So we chose to go for Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv was available because there was a lot, back about two years ago, there was a, a lot of interest in the Israel, Israeli stock exchange market, in the capital market, in cannabis. I'm not sure that is the situation right now. Mm-hmm. This wave, more or less, is over. There have been about 20 companies talking about cannabis in the Israeli, in the at taste Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, yet only it was all about RTOs, reverse takeovers, no IPOs. Mm, I see. And out of about com- about 20 companies talking about it, 
I think it's about seven which are relevant by now. And my gut feel estimate, which of course I cannot prove, is that in two years, the number is going to be lower and the companies are going to be extremely efficient and professional. Mm-hmm. Two years ago and a year ago, and even a bit now, there was room for a lot of talking about market size, opportunity, the need for the capabilities of cannabis, etc., etc., etc. This time has, is over. Now the investors are looking to see revenues. And in year two, they are going to be talking about profitability, meaning the time for the dot-coms is over. There is no more room left for, I want to build a farm, I want to, be, I want to build a factory. Hey, I've been doing cannabis for 20 years, I know the plant, etc., etc., etc. And there's no room for saying, you know, I actually heard it from people. I've been a master grower at Amsterdam for 20 years, I know the plant. No, it ain't relevant. It's all about pharma-grade production. And that is where the market is heading. It's not enough to say I've been a, market, a master grower. It's nice, mm-hmm. but it's a different business. Growing something under the radar is one thing. Working under ISOs and GMP and GAP is a completely different business. Mm-hmm. I see. So the current wave of cannabis, in your, your opinion, is highly regulated production. And let's talk a little bit about the future wave of cannabis, which you guys are also involved in, which is R&D. And I've had the privilege to be working with you since that took off. And I see a lot of activity in terms of patents. Where do you see that going? And, and uh, what's your time frame for new products on the market that are cannabis-based? I think that's the most interesting part of all. We came to that understanding that it is all about IP. And the very first day we started Kanshu. And that is the reason we asked for your guidance a few years ago and some of your colleagues, the ex-Narodem and ex-Teva guys. Now, I think that in two or three years, that barrier of a physician to prescribe cannabis as a plant or an extract will still be there. Yet, the products needed, and actually we came to that understanding based on meetings with some of the big pharma, is that needed products are to are as follows safe, consistent, stable, with the look of and feel of a pharma product. Mm-hmm. So doctors are, are, would be more willing to prescribe the same active ingredient, but in a form that looks more like a drug than in, in terms of flour to be smoked or, or uh, extract that's, uh, plant, that's just plant extract, right? And it's, and it's a matter of delivery systems. The, the physicians are expecting a delivery system, which is known to them. That's very easily understood. It's because a physician is in a need of pill or drug device combination, something of his own ecosystem. A smokable flower is effective, yet it has some hazards. Would you like someone to smoke a medical cannabis approved medicine near a kindergarten? That's an issue. It ain't that straightforward. So the normal physician, I would say even more, the insurers, the pairs, are looking for products which are effective, yet with a delivery system which is by far more uh, easy to comprehend. And that is why we are, de- we are developing four products which fit that criteria of safe, consistent, stable, based on 
whole plant extract and cannabinoids, yet with the look and feel of pharma. Now, another understanding that we got is that you have to divide between medical cannabis regulatory framework under the IMCA, the Israeli Medical Cannabis Agency, or medicinal herb under EMA on one hand. In Europe. In Europe. And a full-blown FDA R&D operation, which is different in cost and time. So we are developing the following three drug device combinations of different delivery systems under medical cannabis regulatory framework and one drug device combination IUD under complete FDA guidelines. And the reason we did it is that we have reviewed GWs and others IP. We have reviewed at clinicaltrials.gov all the clinical trials available worldwide in cannabis. And we came to certain understandings. GW has done a great work, yet of course anything they dealt with, we are not going to do any R&D yet because they dealt with it. That's more or less all the neuroscience. And we have to produce products which are easy for the normal physician to prescribe. Now in Israel, as, you, as we talked before, there are about 90k patients by now. The number is growing 2,500 per month. Wow. It will, you know, it will reach a peak and then it will stop, of course. It's not endless. Yet, the, so the normal physician will prescribe. Yet, in Europe, it's by far more different. There are, there's nearly 100K patients in Germany. Yet, in the other, other European com- uh, countries, the number is by far smaller. And I think it comes from, although the uh, regulatory framework is there. So, why, do not, why don't they prescribe? Now, the answer for that is, the physician has to feel safe on one hand. His insurer has to feel to approve him to prescribe cannabis. And the state or the pairs has to approve reimbursement. If there's no reimbursement, there is no market usually. Mm-hmm. So if you want to reach the reimbursement market, you have to produce a product which is a drug device combination, easy to digest for the physician, the patient, and the state. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it won't have the look and feel of and the stigma associated with recreational cannabis, for instance, which you know people stigmatize and people are afraid of, maybe. So you you package something differently, it will be safe, it will be effective, and um, people will be more willing to use it and prescribe it. So tell me, Nir, what are your main challenges that you've had in uh, establishing and running Canashore? Lots of those. Uncertainty is always around. Regulation change, the market change. Some things never change. You must have a qualified, trustable team. You must know what the what kind of a DNA you want the organization to have. Now we started from scratch. We split the company from a corporate and created the startup. So the founding team had to reinvent themselves into entrepreneurs. It was pretty easy for them to do. And as part of that, we've gone and, and met a lot of startups from the Israeli innovation arena, which has nothing to do with cannabis or pharma, just to see and hear how people think and look and the way they build companies. Mm-hmm. Yet, now we are in an awkward situation. The company is 21 in total. The number, let's, 
if I total the founders, I would say it's five or six. Now the founders are becoming a minority. And the minority has got the startup DNA, while the company is being run as a corporate, and the majority of the employees we are now recruiting are coming from corporates, from the big pharma mainly. Now, those guys coming from big pharma think and, o- think and operate in a very, I would say, army-type thinking. They get orders and they, li- and they deliver, yet the founding team is very, I would say, hectic, innovative, doesn't follow standard procedures. They, put, they run as fast as they, as they can. Mm-hmm. So in order to maintain the company's innovative DNA while producing under pharma standards, well, that, there is a difference in mentality. And that difference has to be maintained because you want the R&D, ter- R&D team to be extremely innovative and you want the top management to think constantly out of the box. Yet, you want the operation to operate in a standardized, ISO-based, pharma-based, etc. Now, those are, I would say, culture, significant cultural differences within the team. And you have to maintain that situation. I guess in, in two or three or four years, we'll be completely corporate-like thinking, and we'll lose that edge of thinking out of the box. There's no mm-hmm. way around it. Got it. Okay, so it's trying to maintain the startup culture while at the same time growing company. I can understand that challenge. What sort of tips do you have for Israeli entrepreneurs, founders, startups, based on your experience with Canashore? A dream, that's obvious. Everybody says that. Yet, try to summarize your ID into a one-pager. Don't bother writing a 40-pages big four accounting type business plan. It will never happen anyway. Just be able to write a one pager saying what is the agenda? What is the market? What does the market need? What's your edge? And how roughly you're going to deliver that. So keep it short and sweet and simple. Yeah. And if you cannot summarize your idea into one page, then you are not prepared. Then wait a bit, think a bit, summarize that into one pager in order to convince yourself what's the agenda. Then you need to talk, to think about finance. Finance is always an, an issue for a new startup. So all the way from crowdfunding to friends and family, think how you start. Don't let yourself think in milestones. The company will grow and decrease. Think in milestones, deliver a milestone by milestone by milestone. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to convert the company. Uh, we actually had to reinvent ourselves three times since we start fi- started thinking about Kanashore. And actually, our long-term strategy has, ch- has completely changed three times since 2016. You know, you can't anticipate that, but that's what actually happens. So be flexible. Think what's the company agenda, what is the edge, and how you move forward while managing to pay rent and salaries. It's all about, and of course, your service providers. So think about finance and business. Marketing is the next step. You have to think about it. Of course, if you are starting a, a, bu- a new business or a new market, or you're envisioning a new market, nobody can tell you if the market is there. You have to check it yourself. 
no business advisor is capable of saying the market will be A, B, and Z zillion dollars in five years. Those are nonsense. Make sure you can look forward at least one year ahead. What will the business be like? What will your finance be like? It's good enough. And move fast as fast as possible. Move forward as fast as possible. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was Nir Pellis, founder and chairman of Canisher. We hope you enjoyed this episode. There are many more to come. We'd love to hear about your startup and what you're working on. If you have a great innovation, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by going to jmbdavis.com forward slash startup. We have a special site specifically made for startups in order to help startups protect their innovations. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.